Please join me, if you have a Bible, please join me in 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, it will also be on the screen, and I'm going to read chapter 1 verse 1 through chapter 2 verse 2. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Our Father, we ask that you would shepherd us through this letter that you put through the pen of the Apostle John. We ask this of you, good Rabbi Jesus. Amen. Simple language, profound message. Those of you familiar with the Scripture, as I'm reading 1 John, you're immediately thinking of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning, what does he say in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1? That which was from the beginning. What is the orientation of this apostle? 
What is his orientation? What orientation that did three to three and a half years of walking this earth with God the Son become flesh? What orientation did that move the man whom we call the Apostle John into? First, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, just like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. It was a ruin and a desolation. It had just been judged. And God said, and God said, and God spoke, and God spoke, and God and this destroyed planet was restored to glory by the speaker that person of the triune Godhead who was the speaker, the carpenter, the creator. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, was already present, was the Word. He didn't come into being at the beginning. No, at the beginning he already was present. In the beginning was the Word, the speaker. The speaker was there. And the speaker was with God. And the Greek text, it's actually the, the idea is in a face-to-face -face relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, looking into one another's faces. That's what that Greek expression means. And the Word was with God, and this is the Greek word order, and God was the Word. Well, that strikes our English ears as, as understandable but unexpected. Also would have struck the Greek ears that way. It's not the expected word order. No, what's the point of changing the expected word order? The emphasis, I want you to guys not to miss this one bit. God was the Word. Everything you can say of the reality of who God is, you could say it authentically, truly, of this person. And the Word, everything was made through Him, and by Him nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, literally, skene, tented, tabernacled, among us, just as the tabernacle in the wilderness later, right up until Solomon's temple was built. Where was God? If you asked any Jew in those days between Sinai and the building of Solomon's temple, where can I go to be as close to God as I can possibly be? You go to the tabernacle because the Shekinah glory of God, the glory of His presence is in the Holy of Holies. Now, you can't go in there only once a year did the high priest go in there. First, with blood for his own sin to cover the mercy seat. And then he would come back out and bring in the sacrifice for the people. This is Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. First, he had to deal with his own, because he's not a sinless high priest. Deal with his own sin issue, and then he, could, he was qualified to bring in the blood for the people, 
That was the only time anybody went into the Holy of Holies that once a year, once a year, and the Word became flesh and tented among us, and we beheld His glory. Oh, we weren't prevented from going into the Holy of Holies. He came out. We saw full deity tented in human flesh. We heard the words of God from his mouth. We saw the works of God done by him, spoken into reality by him, created by him, by whatever means he chose. We beheld his glory Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the heir of all things. The only begotten meant he gets the whole works. Full of grace. Full of grace. Gifts. He's constantly giving. And truth. And what did Jesus, what did God the Son come in the flesh do? He served. That most shocking of all experiences the apostles had other than losing Christ to crucifixion was when he washed their feet. They were offended for him that he would be so silly. And so willing to forfeit his own dignity for them. But of course, that was a tiny, 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 small thing compared to the fact that within just a few hours he would be nailed to a cross for them and us. We beheld his glory. Glory as if the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus could authentically say to his worst enemies, which of you accuses me of sin? These people who had been looking at him, hiding behind rocks and bushes for three years, trying to find something to accuse him of. What did they find? Nothing. Even when they concocted a false show trial just with the Jewish leaders, and they had they had coached witnesses. You had, according to the book of Leviticus, you have to have two or three witnesses with the United Testimony. They had coached these guys. And then when they came out for the public statement, oh, it's just some some of that didn't work. Even just there, where they had total control, they thought. Then they bring him to Pilate. Well, what's your accusation? Uh, you just crucify him. Uh, what's your accusation? You just crucify him. The only accusation they made that was true was when they said to Pilate, he says that he is the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, is that to the, up to that point totally silent? As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He had been totally silent, much to Pilate's shock. And Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? Well, they got that right, Jesus said. They got that right. 
And then the Jews demanded his crucifixion because if he claims to be the king, that is in opposition to the emperor, and you're no friend of the emperor, and we're going to send word to Rome that you didn't stand in defense of the emperor. So they cornered Pilate. But what had Jesus done? He had told the truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. John's Gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says that in John 14, after he had been with these men for three years, if they were ever going to see him do something that was not in step with being the true and living God come in the flesh, they would have seen it. They had three years with him. I'm sorry, you don't have to spend three minutes with me. (laughs) They spent three years with him, and they could find nothing. And so he could actually say, as is quoted in John's Gospel, he who has seen me has seen the Father. There is no distinction between my holy character, my holiness, my integrity, my power, my mercy, my grace, and that of my Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. There is no difference in the core of our being. And you've seen me exhibit it to you for three plus years. He says that in the upper room just before his arrest. And so what does John say here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, actually from eternity past. What did I, John, witness along with the other apostles, those who were incessantly with Jesus all that time. We saw heaven's glory, what only angels would have witnessed before. We saw God the Son come down to earth, tabernacle among us, and we beheld His glory. We saw the same reality of God as he would be there, seen in the throne room of heaven, we saw him exhibiting that right here on earth. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and we heard his words of truth, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on, we examined it. And our hands have handled concerning the word of life, even in our legal system. When someone comes to the stand in a courtroom, what do we want to know from a witness? We don't want their opinions. We don't want their judgments. We want, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you touch? What did you smell? What did you taste? We want what your five senses brought to your attention Just tell us that we will draw the conclusions. And John said, I saw, I handled, I heard. He's doing what a witness does. And by the way, the Roman world, the great civilizational contribution of the Romans was what? Justice. Roman justice. The court says getting justice right. And so he's speaking to their culture. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. What did I, John, see put on display before me along with the other apostles? We saw the word, what actual life of God in human flesh would look like. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness. Have I made my point? <laughs> He's saying the same thing in three different ways. It was manifested, we have seen <coughs> and bear witness and declare to you that, that eternal life. Read my gospel. Declare to you that eternal life, that walking exhibit of eternal life, which was with the Father from eternity. No matter how far back you go, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are there to meet you. Before there was ever a creation of the universe or angels or anything else, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are there having a wonderful time together. And you can go, and here it is, we had this manifested, put on display before us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That you, why are we declaring this to you? Because we want you to join with us into this fellowship. I, in my gospel, spoke words to you. I explained various episodes to you. Why? So you too would be brought into this display of revelation of God and likewise become part of this gang, <laughs> this band of man, men and women who have fellowship with the God who is from eternity. What an honor. Folks, that's called grace. That's called a gift. A gift is an unearned benefit or item that comes to you. If you earned it, it's not a gift. It's unearned. He came and gave us. He gave to me John. He's, and I am spreading the word so that others likewise can be welcomed into this fellowship. Folks, if you have responded to the gospel, you've been welcomed into a fellowship with the holy eternal God who is the only restraint on your experiencing blessing from that is you is me. If someone were to walk in that door and, and say, I've got a whole lot of uh, pure gold coins here, um, and I'm going to put into your hands as many gold coins as you can possibly hold, how are you going to walk up to that person? With just uh, one outstretched hand, just kind of barely open to maybe, re or are you going to be going, I think we're going to be putting both hands together as wide open as they can possibly be so we can hold as many of those precious coins in our... Well, that's what God is doing with us. I will grant to you myself 
the only restraint is how open are your hands? How open are your hearts? How open are your minds to welcome this? That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, in the Roman world, there was a lot of reverence for people in the noble class, typically. Just as in India today, the people who are in the higher caste, or just as in this country, uh, you know, we've got, I live in this mansion on the hill. There's all, others always, in every culture, there are people that are on the, on the hilltops, and there are the people down in the slums. God is inviting every kind of person from every level into his fellowship. And the best this world has to offer is ridiculous poverty compared to the wealth of understanding and having been welcomed into the presence of this God with gladness on his part. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy. I love it that He picked that word. Well, the Holy Spirit picked that word. That your joy may be full. Everybody here who's in favor of joy, <laughs> see your hands. Yay! We all want joy. By the way, joy is so much better than happiness. We have a fellow sitting here in this room that gave me a wonderful testimony last week as I sat down with him. He's been through a very, 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 very hard path in life. But what Jesus gave him, these were his words. I think it was when he was 12 years old. Jesus gave him joy. And no matter who he was with or how bad the situation or how cruel the words of people were to him, he didn't have happiness, which is based on happenstance. What's your situation? No, he had joy. And they could never take it away from him. Folks, that's what you want. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. What do you think got the attention of the people of the Mediterranean Roman world in the days in the first century, in the days of the apostles as they went out and people came to faith in Christ? And you have people who were martyred. Why? Why were they martyred? They wouldn't worship Nero. And so you get crucified. If you're a Roman citizen, they do you the honor of just beheading you. But if you're not a Roman citizen, you get crucified. And there were people who were crucified or who were being led to their executions, beheadings, with grins on their faces. 
And it wasn't because of the circumstance immediately surrounding them. It was because of the circumstance more widely. They were about to step into the unrestrained presence of their God with a glad embrace from him. Why wouldn't I be glad? You guys are actually doing me a favor. <laughs> These things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In John's gospel, now many of you already know this, the, the number associated with God in the Bible is the number seven. There are seven spirits before his throne. He is all... Uh, in John's Gospel, you have the seven I am's by Jesus. Let me read these seven I am's to you. I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, twice Jesus says it. John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. John Chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. I am that shepherd who lays down in the doorway area when the sheep are all brought into the fold at the village. I am the shepherd that lays across the doorway, and nobody can get in and out of that sheepfold without my permission. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, John 15, 1, I am the true vine. The seven I am's of John's gospel. But you also have seven miracles. Isn't that strange? You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of miracles. You find, of, and John was present, John was one of the two first disciples that Jesus called, that followed Jesus, Andrew and John. John had seen hundreds, if not thousands, of miracles done by but he only named seven in his, John, in his gospel. Why? Because, folks, if these seven aren't enough, 77 wouldn't be enough. It's a measure of the hardness of your heart that if these seven aren't enough. What were the seven miracles? Jesus, his very first miracle in at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, he turned water into wine. And then he went to Galilee, and there was a nobleman that came to him and said, My son is a day and a half's journey from here. He is writhing in bed. I heard about the miracles that you've done. I've come seeking you. Will you come with me to our home and heal my son before he dies? He's on the verge of death. I don't need to go with you. Your son is healed. And when the man made the journey back and he was met by a servant on the road who was looking for him, Sir, your son is healed. When did that happen? Yesterday, right about noon. Uh, that's exactly when Jesus told me my son was healed. The man at the pool of Bethesda there near the temple who had been in an infirmed condition for 38 years years, and Jesus sovereignly healed him. He didn't even know it was Jesus. It was purely a sovereign healing. 
And then Jesus fed the 5,000. They witnessed that. Then he walked on the water and he raised Lazarus. He, he gave sight to the beggar beside the road there in Jerusalem. This fellow had been sitting there for years with his tin cup. Everybody knew this guy and Jesus gave him sight. The resurrection of Lazarus. And then there's actually an eighth, but this was not witnessed by the, his own resurrection, Jesus' own resurrection. But what does John say? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And what does Jesus say in John chapter 8? I am the light of the world. You can examine me as deeply and carefully up close, afar, no matter what angle you use. You can examine me and you will never find fault. You will only find heaven's glory either by the words that I speak or the acts that I do. God is light and in him is no darkness at all so that even when his enemies Jesus could honestly look his enemies in the face and say to them, which of you accuses me of sin? And they've been trying to trip him up over and over, and they always fail. And they have nothing they can say, even to Pilate. And in him is no darkness at all. Not the slightest fault. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, tragically, <coughs> there, are very, there are men and women who do that very thing, who claim to have an authentic, deep relationship with Jesus. Meanwhile, they're living in immorality or dishonesty. And what's John saying? You're a liar. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another between ourselves and God. If we walk in the light, then the fellowship with him is unhindered. And what have I been in, just invited you into? The joy of his fellowship. You want to experience the joy of his fellowship? Walk in his light. Even when it's hard, walk in his light. Obey him, believe him, trust him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, no holds barred, you're doing it. We have fellowship with one another between ourselves and God, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Wait a minute. You said I'm walking in the light. Yeah, in the light. I didn't say you are the light. You're walking in the light. And folks, the idea of becoming in this life right now before we're yanked out of our shoes or our sandals or whatever, our graves, we're not going to get it perfect. Now, that's not an excuse in any way, shape, or form. But we are fallen people in a fallen world. We have been gifted by God. We have been graced by God. We've been forgiven by God. We've been welcomed into his presence by his mercy and his grace. But we are still fallen beings who 
will constantly need Jesus' forgiveness. We will need that cleansing. And when we get into the presence of God, when we are given our resurrection incorruptible bodies, and we can step into his presence, folks, for the first time in our lives, we're going to see what holiness really looks like. And let me tell you, we don't know. We're going to see and we're going to understand what John just said as we have never understood it. Because we're going to be, thank you, Lord, I have a resurrection hair. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that can't be, you know, you get too close to a flame today, your hair curls. <laughs> we will be able to stand in his unrestrained holy presence. And we're and we're going to have resurrection eyes that will allow us to see the fullness of his holiness. And we are going to be absolutely overwhelmed by what authentic holiness looks like. And boy, will we ever be more appreciative of the reality of grace and forgiveness than ever before. And not only will we be there, we will be gladly welcomed there. Gladly welcomed there. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, oh, stop it. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Don't be so, I'll just use the word silly. If we confess our sins. Now I love that word confession. In the Greek language, the word con- translated confess is hamalageo. Homogenized milk is milk that's the same from top to bottom. How, that homo or hamo Prefix means the same. Hama legeo. We say the same things about our sin that God says about it. Well, Lord, I realized I made a mistake. <clears throat> I'm going to give you another chance. Uh, okay, Lord, I really committed a gross sin. <laughs> Call it what God calls it. Confess it. Call it what God, homologeo, say the same thing about it that God would say about it. If we confess our sins, say the same thing about our sins that he says about our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the lies Satan will try to tell to you, because we're told in Revelation chapter 12 that Satan stands before the throne of God day and night accusing the brethren. I mean, he is any, and he doesn't have to make anything up. He, he stands before the holy throne of God, the holy God seated on that throne, and he, every time you and I blow it, he's telling God. But what does it say in Revelation 12 about the brethren? They overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb granted me Full welcome presence with God. By the blood of the Lamb, 
by the word of their testimony. When Satan was accusing us, when Satan was down here attacking us, we didn't back down. And because they did not love their lives, even unto death, the most, those people with the greatest accolades when they step into God's presence are those who have literally forfeited, forfeited their physical life out of loyalty to Jesus. But Satan isn't just accusing us before God. He's accusing us to us. You got a little demon sitting here on your shoulder. And every time you even come close to blowing it or you blow it, he's there telling you. And he's not only telling you, he's telling you what a worthless piece of garbage you are and how could God ever, the holy God, ever allow you a welcome in his presence again. Look at all that he's already forgiven you. Now you've done They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And what does it say here? If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful. If we say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. Means he will forgive us every time. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will do it. Oh, Mark, you left out the word just. No, I didn't. I'm going back. Now we're going to do just. And when he does it, he is just in doing it. God, the Holy God the Father, is, has complete freedom to forgive us wicked sinners because Jesus paid sin's penalty for us. And so that gives him perfect freedom to forgive because the penalty due to me was already measured out to Jesus on the cross. That's what gives God the Father complete freedom to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive. And folks, we're going to be standing shoulder to shoulder in the kingdom with people just like us who were forgiven enormous wickedness. One of my favorite episodes and testimonies in the Hebrew Scriptures is this fellow Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have any problem killing people who couldn't satisfy his desires, and not just them, but their families too. Hey, if you guys don't uh, interpret this dream for me, if you can't do that, I'm going to kill you and your families too. Bye. It's a pretty wicked guy. He became a worshiper. Ultimately, he went through a difficult process, but he became a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> he became a worshiper of that guy. Folks, we're talking about a guy who was as dark in his person and his nature in his spirit as you could possibly find, and God brought him in. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing is too so bad that Jesus hasn't resolved it. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar. That's not going to work. 
and his word is not in us. And I have literally had people who claim to be actually Christian leaders say, oh, I don't sin. <sighs> and actually were then confronted. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who had this actually happen, this Christian leader that said that. To him. Uh, what about 1 John chapter 1? He pointed him right to this. Oh, it doesn't say that in the Greek text. Uh, yes, it does. It says that in English because it says it in Greek. It's a very simple language. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. You know, don't, ex don't use what I've just said to excuse your sin. Don't give yourself permission, therefore, to sin. Don't sin. Whatever price you have to pay to not sin, pay that price because it's smaller than the price that sin will charge. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. Don't sin. Walk in the light. Walk in the strength of God. I'm telling you, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Well, I can't live sinlessly. I understand that, but don't cut yourself slack either. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we... John is including himself. We have an advocate, a defense attorney, a high priest with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, we have some people in this congregation that are old enough to remember way back into the 1950s, maybe the early 60s, this TV series called Perry Mason. Well, there was one episode where he did lose a case, but then he got that fixed and he actually won, ultimately. Perry Mason, was all, he was always defending people charged with murder. He never lost a case. He never lost a case, never lost a case, never lost a case. Jesus is God's Perry Mason. Jesus never loses a case. We have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, fancy word for satisfaction for our sin. And I, I say this almost every Sunday. You're just going to have to get over it. I hope this is how I've been presenting the gospel the last two or three years. The sixth statement of Jesus from the cross was the Greek word tetelestai. It, we translate it, it is finished. It was a marketplace and courtroom term that meant paid in full. When you had paid the bill for your vegetables or anything you bought at the market, they would write tetelestai across that bill. When Jesus cried that word out from the cross, everybody there knew what it meant, paid in full. It was also used in the court system. If you were convicted of a series of crimes, they made out in the Roman court system, where, the, by the way, they spoke Greek, not Latin, they would make out an actual crime bill listing every offense you were convicted of, and when you had paid all the penalties, the fines, so many wax with the rods, so, so much time in the salt mines, whatever it was, when you had paid your bill, they would write tetelestai, 
paid in full across that scroll, roll it up, and hand it to you so you could take it home and nail it to your front door. So that when your neighbors step forward and say, I know that guy, Tom. He's supposed to be in the salt mines. Tom could say, uh, he could take him by the hand, lead them to his front door. You're talking about this crime right here, paid in full, go away. And the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 says, God has taken the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, the list of all of our crimes against heaven, and nailed it to the cross. And that was how the hearers there at the foot of the cross, when they heard Tetelestai come out of the mouth of Jesus, they knew that was what that word was used for. That was what it was meant in their, for in their culture. He paid it in full. He himself is the satisfaction for our sins. God looked at what he had done on the cross where he, God the Father had sent him for this very purpose and Jesus had just finished paying off the sin debt of the human race. He himself is this propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world. He's paid off the sin debt, but the benefit only comes when we are offered that scroll. Mark, my son paid sin's penalty for you on the cross. Are you willing to accept that benefit of that accomplished task? You know what? I can fold my hands. I can, well, no, I don't need that. Therefore, I don't get the benefit. But if I am offered that scroll with the word to tell us I scrawled across it, and I have enough faith to reach out my hand and accept the scroll, Accept that benefit, which is what happens when you transfer your trust from your own goodness, your own works, to the work of Jesus Christ. You're accepting that scroll. You're accepting that benefit. And He is the propitiation, the satisfaction. He got it done. All What's our role? Accept the benefit. Now, I don't have to take it home and nail it to my front door. It was already nailed to the cross. He paid off sin's penalty for me, but I have to accept the benefit. Thankfully, the Scripture also teaches, not in this passage, but it does teach, that we are incentivized to do that by God Himself. As James, and I keep quoting this verse, there's a reason, I want you to get it, James chapter 1, by his own will, by God's own will, he brought us forth, brought us to birth. By his own will, he brought us forth by the word of his testimony, by his word. God tracked us down. Let's give thanks to him for this. Our Lord, we are so grateful that you have welcomed into the joy-filled 
relationship with you, not only a glad welcome in heaven, but even walking down on this hostile planet in this hostile environment, even with hostility rising out from our own fallen nature, we can still walk in defiance of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can walk in defiance of them in joy. The eternal life which is ever in, the, in your presence, the eternal reality of a welcome with you is now ours. And you have made every provision for us to be able to walk in that in defiance of our environment. And we give you all the praise for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, let's...